We're going to be a little uh, parsing over a couple of verses in different chapters. So starting with chapter 18, verse 1 reads, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul sent him over the the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Chapter 19, starting with verse 4. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against the innocent blood by killing David without cause? Chapter 20, verse 3. But David vowed again, saying, your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, behold, tomorrow is the new moon and I shall not fail to sit at the table with the king. But let me go, and I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asks leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says, good, it would be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go into, out into the field. So they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness when he, I have sounded out my when I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day. Behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But shouldn't it please my father to do harm? The Lord do so to Jonathan and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to him, tomorrow is the new moon and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand and remain beside the stone heap. And I will shoot three arrows 
to the side of it, as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the boy, saying, Go find the arrows. If I say to the boy, Look, the arrows are on the side of you. Take them. Then you are to come for as the Lord lives. It is safe for you, and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, Look, the arrows are beyond you, and then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you have, which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate, to, ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow and Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, Hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Well, we continue today in our sermon series on loving uh, your neighbor. And today we look at what the Bible has to say about loving as a friend. Loving as a friend. Now this uh, will not be an easy one for most of us here to grasp. Because this is not about having friends, but being a friend to someone else. Now I understand we've spent much of our time pining over the fact that no one seems to like us, that we are alone, or that everyone else seems to have good friends, or all of our good friends have left us, or you've only had one good friend in your life, or that we don't have any real friends, or the people who should be or claim to be our friends are not really our friends. This call to love neighbor, to love as a friend, is a non-consumer-based call of God on our lives. Don't get me wrong. To love as a friend, you know, having, not having friends, the lack of true, deep, real, lasting friendships is a tragedy and hardship for sure. But we can end much of that by beginning with this. You be a friend to someone else. You be a friend to someone. This does not mean or promise that you're going to get that lifelong friend, but it does mean that you and I are called by Scripture, by our faith in God, to befriend people, to befriend those who need a friend. And in some cases, I will say, even in rare cases like this one we're reading about between David and Jonathan, those relationships may develop into close and deep friendships. So today we will look at the story of how Jonathan befriended David. 
and how we are called, seeing his example in light of the gospel, to befriend those around us. Like David found himself in this story, there is not one of us who is at press, strained, and in trouble in some way. And like Jonathan, we are called to go to each other's sides by first having God's confidence in them and someone else. Secondly, interceding for them. And finally, by binding our lives to theirs, having confidence in them, interceding for them, and binding our lives to theirs. Let me kind of give you a fuller, uh, brought-together picture that you might be getting part of from the Scripture excerpts. Saul, Jonathan's father, is king. But out of nowhere, the shepherd boy kills Israel's biggest unstoppable enemy, Goliath, in plain sight, and soon after becomes a political necessity for Saul to have close to him. So King Saul invites this people's champion, David, war hero, to be a part of his inner circle and his secretary of defense. Well, Saul's son, Jonathan, and David become running buddies, right? Both being younger dudes in the royal camp and all. But the Bible lets us know that David is a beast at winning wars and starts to climb the popularity ladder. And it rubs Saul the wrong way. David is starting to get more press as King Saul, than King Saul is getting. And Saul gets jealous because he, fe- he can just feel that his time is almost up. So David senses it and goes to Jonathan about it. They do a couple of stress tests on King Saul and discover that things are about to break out against David. So they devise a plan to see whether David needs to get going. So they find a place in a field near a rock. And they figure that David not being at the king's new moon celebration will be a social faux pas and a slap in the face. It will definitely reveal his fury level towards David. If king and daddy Saul acts up, then Jonathan will go arrow shooting with one of his gopher boys. And if David has to get out of town, he will shoot the arrow and say, hey, boy, go get the arrows. They are beyond you. Well, King Saul ends up throwing a spear at his own son, Jonathan, whom Saul figures is sideways and covering for David. Message clear as a spear, right? So he shoots the arrows beyond and yells out to David so that he can know that he must get the heck out of town. Jonathan saves David's life. But the Bible tells us that before Jonathan saw fit to save David's life, that he saw something else in David that called him to befriend him. He saw God at work in David's life. Look with me at chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. This is after David has slain Goliath. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, it would be easy to assume from that reading that Jonathan wanted to be with David and be David's friend because he saw David climbing the ladder. 
And he wanted to go up when David went up because his dad was old news. David got skills. He has cred. He got Quan, right? He at least wanted to be, have entourage privileges when, when David ran through town. But David had something else that Jonathan could see. Wasn't David's starriness, but the shine of God's favor and apparent work in David's life. Look with me at chapter 19 at verses 4 and 5. It says, And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul's father and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. In short, Jonathan is saying, my friendship with you, David, and for you is about the Lord's work in you. When he gives David his robe, he's essentially giving up his princehood to David, who is apparently God's chosen leader, even though Jonathan could contest for the kingship, being king's son and all, but he sees something beyond himself. He sees the Lord's work in David. He's declaring, I believe in you, David, because of who and what God has, is, and will call you to be for his glory. I see And can see God being at work in your life, in your situation, for your good, but more importantly, for God's glory. And so Jonathan works and he promises, he covenants to work for God's work in David's life, to do what he can to make sure that he stays alive and on track for God. He has confidence that he is working for David's good only because God is at work in him. The other night, I had an opportunity to go. Thursday night, John Wells and I went to this Engaging Culture seminar up in Wake Forest. And um, now we went up there, and it's a bunch of heady church stuff about engaging culture and the hip-hop music and what's the best way it should be used for God's glory. And, you know, on the way back, we're having these discussions about it, good stuff, stuff I like to keep up here, you know, good intellectual theological stuff. But, you know, these conversations always end up being this personal thing, right? And so we both start, you know, man, I don't know if the Lord really working like he should in my life. You know, you start doing all that. And it's funny because John is like, he has this, we all get mopey, but he has this way of asking the question. Like, I'm, I'm determining something about my life. Man, things ain't right, man. I, God can't use me no more. And all kind of dumb stuff you start thinking late at night. And John has his way of, he's just like, oh, yeah, with the question mark, oh, yeah. And his favorite line, when it's all said and done, he loves to say that. But, yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying, Howard, all that stuff. But when it's all said and done, in other words, when you finish your yik-yak, right, when you finish your mess, when you see all the lies you're telling yourself, when, when you see all the stuff you're saying and God can't usually use you and boo-hoo-hoo and all that kind of stuff, when it's all said and done, when, when, when we see what God has said in Scripture, he liked to do that. Well, what's God saying, right? When we see what God's saying in Scripture and what God has called you to and what I see God doing in you, let me tell you what it is. In other words, you're not so great. 
but I see what God is doing, and I see what God's Word says about you, even more than you can see it. And loving as a friend, we are called to answer God's call on and in the lives of someone else. We are called to not take confidence in them all the way, but in God's ability and power and promise to work on and in them. Now, that should be, not only be true for Christians in the church, it also extends to those whom God could save and change and redeem, and, and redeem but still, How much more is it true for those around you who have made covenant with God in Christ that God is at work and promising to do so in the lives of those who know Jesus? And it is our call to befriend not only them, but be a friend and help and work for that which God is doing in them. There is so much out there. And in them that would seek to destroy what God wants to do and would be doing. And God has called us, that's you and me, that's you sitting there, right, has called us to be friends who will shoot the arrows, who will take a risk to keep them in the way of God and out of the way of evil and pitfalls and lies and sinful situations and say to them, go towards the Lord, run to him. Don't you see? I see the work of God in your life. I must ask then, who do you believe in besides yourself? Who are you believing in and believing for and working for right now? Who is your ministry of friendship for right now? Who are you looking at and saying, I see and hope for and pray for and speak to what God's word says about you and for your life? And it's hard for me to believe we are doing it well. When when I consider the amount of lost and bewildered and failing and falling in the dark, lonely, and making stupid decisions people around us, right? People need a ministry of friendship through you who have learned and know the word and prayer, not just for yourself, but for those you befriend who are in desperate need of it. Because as powerful as King David was against Goliath, even he needed someone a friend in Jonathan to intercede for him, to to see what he couldn't see and to be who he couldn't be. Look with me starting at verse 5 in chapter 20. Let them go by. Okay. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at table with the king. But let me go that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asks to leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from you. If I knew 
that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you? Would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time, tomorrow, the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do harm you, to harm you, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go in safety, may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Jonathan becomes David's spy to spy out where he stands with Saul. And what kind of danger his life is in firsthand, in a way and from an angle that David couldn't or what would be dangerous for him to be. You know one of the most awesome things someone can say to you? I got your back. I got your back. Or I got you, brother, my sister. It means I am to your back. I, I, I am eyes and ears for you where you can't and, can't and don't have them. When you can't do for yourself for whatever shortcoming, I will do what you need but can't. I will see and share. I will be the extra brain energy and space you don't have in your distress. I will be the extra space when you can't store and handle anymore. When you, when you are fed, fed up, I am your other stomach, right? I will help you digest the extra stuff in your life that is overwhelming you. I will help you think where you are not thinking clearly and can't right now. This is what a friend does. They see and be what you can't about and for yourself, for your own God good. And because of sin in the world, everyone has things that they have even brought on themselves and put themselves in that is more than they can handle. People are snagged and caught in their hearts and minds and circumstances and situations that are threatening and kind of tempting and may slowly be draining the life of them. They're losing touch with reality. They're losing touch with their faith. Folk are dying out on a branch. They are starved to be treated like a human being. They're quickly crossing from the human race into the animal kingdom. They can't think straight right now because everything's crooked inside and out, and they simply need someone else, someone like you, to be the ears, the eyes, the hands, and feet for them. You see, a friend commits to see and then report, and convince, and confront, and find out what you can't see that may be harmful. We must commit to see, and then report, and then convince, and counsel according to what we see in another person in their lives and thinking and actions that for whatever reason they are blind and deaf to on their own. And you know what that includes? Their inability to see themselves. David did not know for sure that he was the hated of Saul. And Jonathan went to find out for him. People don't even and can't even know themselves well. They need someone, get this, who isn't them 
to be what and where they can't be in life and in place, an objective and subjective view, keeping an eye on God's love and grace for them, to love them, to take care of them. What is interesting in this story is that as a whole, this is about the life of the greatest king of Israel, King David. But no matter how great he is or how hard he tries, King David can't be Jonathan too. You know who Jonathan was? Jonathan was a lame duck prince, never to take the throne, in large part because of his messed up dad, King Saul, was going to ruin it for him. But nobody is like a friend because a friend is always someone you can't be. But you need them to be for your good. David needed guess who and what? King David needed a lame duck prince from a dysfunctional, abusive family to keep the work of God alive in his life. Another David type would not have worked the same way. They could not go to the court of Saul that day. They wouldn't have the resources. They wouldn't have the ability or sensitivity to know all that they knew for the good of David. Your life was made to be who another person can't be for their good. What am I saying? You were made to be a friend because you are not who they are and where they are. And in some way, you are right where and who they, those who need our friendship, need you to be. What I want to urge you is you do, you should not despise your life and inabilities or abilities or shortcomings. They may be given by God to be a friend to someone else. And like Jonathan, not hold back anything that would keep them in the way of God's good and out of harm's way. Put yourself in a position to know them and then be able to tell them what is good and true but not just telling them, but what we see here, joining them in their lives. Some years ago, I was sitting on a counselor's couch with my wife before a counselor who was being paid to see what I couldn't see. And be who I couldn't be, a big brother or father, a professional friend. And I was getting red, y'all. My friend that I was paying money for to be my friend was seeing a lot about me that I couldn't see. But not only seeing, saying it too, right? telling me in front of another, right there on that couch. It was the worst reading of my life that I have ever had. It was the most disarming experience I have ever had in my life. And as he was shooting arrows, felt like they were coming at me, but ahead of me, calling and sending me ahead, I hated what he had to say. And I can see Kelly in the peripheral shaking her head, yes. And I started to sweat from every orifice in my body, on my body. 
and I almost had a panic attack. You know why? Because I was known and didn't know for that moment whether anyone was really with me. in a life and situation that was pure mess. My life was not what I thought. I needed someone to walk with, and at that moment I was alone feeling. You know what I thought first? Mama. (laughs) I wanted to climb right back in the womb. I was like, Mama. I even began to think. My mama would love me through this. But I was married. I had to leave and cleave. Second thought I had. How can I get out of this life? Now I thought, okay, suicide now. I'm too scared. Something might go wrong. (laughs) Be my luck. End up messing something up. I don't want to walk through life looking bad if I didn't get it. So I decided to live in the postmodern Mad Max kind of existence. You know, do some self-destructive actions. Go live in a van by the river. (laughs) Kind of like, you know, where I just want to lose or quit my life and live something or someone new. I mean, let's face it, this is what King David is dealing with. He has lost his life. And his friend has come to him and say, you are dead meat. The king of Israel hates you. The king of Israel wants to kill you. There is no place in the kingdom you can hide. You are an enemy. You are done, David. You have to go away. And David's thinking, where? I don't know, but you got to roll. I did not tell you about that about me so that you can feel sorry for me. I know y'all don't anyway. But I want you to understand what a world in need of our friendship is enduring. Cold. Loneliness. Once they've come to the grips of how crappy their life is and everything is, that, that, that you believing in God, that you need to come believing in God with them, who may even... You may have even been the one chosen to show the mess and be their eyes and ears for danger revealing it, but would also be committed to joining your life with them in the mess that you've shown them. Look with me at verse 1 in chapter 18 again. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the son of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And then look at verse 12 in chapter 20. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be my witness. When I have sounded at my father about this time tomorrow, third day, behold, if he's well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do your harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan. And more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. 
If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of God that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love for my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. And then look what happens at verse 41 in chapter 20. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face on the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. The word for knit in verse 1 in chapter 18 is bind. Jonathan is bound to David's soul. He is bound to David's emotion, emotions, how he feels. He's just not an information center. Hey, man, you dead. Get out of here. See, you wouldn't want to be you. No, no. He acts to comfort as a comfort for David. He feels David's coldness and loneliness. In fact, he cries with David. And I think it is not only a goodbye cry, but it is deeper than that. It is a, this is a mess, but I know, I get it. I am in the field with you, my brother, right? Not only do I have your back, but I have you covered. I don't, I don't only have you covered, I get your heart. I am concerned about what the state of things means to you and how it might make you feel. You might be out there right now. Your life might be overturned by devil and sin and general suffering, but I am with you. I am in covenant with you. I am responsible for you and to you. I actually connect with what you're feeling, even though I am not going through it myself. I have sympathy, and I'm working myself into and promise to be as empathetic and loving as I can be as I would for my own soul. Man, would we love to have a friend like that, right? That's why I said mama, right? A friend who is sad when you are sad and cries when you cry and hurts when you hurt and suffers and and things are not well with them, then they are not well with you. I remember in seventh grade, I got suspended. And I tried to hide it. Suspended for talking back to the teacher. Because she was wrong and I was right. I was prophetic toward her life. No prophet's ever accepted his own school. (laughs) So I got kicked out for two days because the vice principal had a crush on her. Everybody knew it. So unjust. And I remember thinking, it's Friday. I'm going to the Halloween party tonight. The mail is not going to make it. It's not going to make it. And I remember telling my friend Hilliard, Hilliard, man, he's my best friend. It ain't going to make it, man. We good, right? He's like, yeah, we good. But I think it might make it. No, it won't. I'm going back to school Monday. It's going to get lost in the mail. And I remember walking and feeling sad the whole Halloween party, right? We even played spin the bottle and got to kiss the prettiest girl. I mean, it was sad though, right? The next day was a carnival, walking around that carnival with long face because I knew I was getting suspended. I hadn't told my parents. But Hilliard's face was long, too. I remember I got sick, like so much nervousness in my stomach. My mom even went to the uh, 
the pharmacy to get me something to help my stomach. Boy, when she found out what it was, I got in trouble. But I remember Hilliard crying too. And even to this day, he says, that was the worst weekend of my life. Because when you got sick and you were hurt and you were in trouble, because I remember I sent him to the mailbox. Could you go to the mailbox and get the mailman? And he went to the mailbox, and we have a two-story house, and I'm looking down in the driveway, and he's got the mail in his hand. He's like. (laughs) (laughs) The wedding I did yesterday between Evan and Sarah, Evan Sprinkle and Sarah Womack, now Evan and Sarah Sprinkle. Man, when they got married, everybody was happy. Like, people were going out, and all of a sudden I hear this great cheer, and there's all their friends jumping and shouting. And, and I, I've married a few of you in here, and, man, the celebration is just friends getting together. You don't, you don't laugh alone. You don't cry alone. When they started crying, he's up there crying and weeping, and I look, the whole front row's crying. The groomsmen, everybody's crying because their friends are knit together in emotions of the moment. Your soul should be troubled or joyed by or for someone else than yourself. If you are consumed or up or down only by what is getting you up or down, you are not a friend. You may be a great informant, a great great diagnoser, an awesome listener, but if the condition of someone else's heart does not make yours go up or down, you are not a friend, and God is calling us to allow and give our lives to be knit, to be bound. That means traveling the emotional and mental and circumstantial roller coaster with someone. And that may mean that sometimes you are in that lonely field with them physically, or it could mean that emotionally you're tied, though you can't physically do anything with, for them. It might mean that you're we're caught up spiritually with them, that we are called to be there, to go there and love as a friend. But let's not miss the true power and friendship that we see here. That we must not only bind our emotions as a friend, but our faith to them as friends. When they talk about covenant here, Jonathan says, let the Lord go between us. Let me let you know that the mention of the Lord's work in David's life and covenant are in eternal agreements and promises made not only to the person, but before and to God himself. Jonathan is believing that his friendship to David is honoring to God and is honored by God. He's believing that his friendship to David is being not just faithful to David, but faithful to God. Jonathan is not only binding his emotions to David, he is binding his faith to him. He is saying, my faith in God and God's answer to my faith, the exercise of my faith and love of God is in this relationship. And that is why I trust God to use you, David, to honor me and care for my family when you come into your kingdom. And there are two things I want you to see here. First, that it is the right exercise of your faith to befriend and to be a friend to someone. Let me say it a little strongly. It is unfaithful to the grace and love and person of God to be selfish and only befriend 
when you see ungodly expectations to be reciprocated, that you will only befriend those that fit in this social circle or give you this or that. You and I are not being a good disciple and friend of Jesus if we don't befriend people. We're not being, you know, I am not saying how deep or how long it must be. I'm not trying to say that they have to be the bestest friend in the whole wide world, though it is no less than binding yourself to someone and someone at, someone's even for a moment, a time, or a season. I have friends that come and go in seasons and lives and situations. Sometimes my best friend lasts for two days. But you are not a very good Christian. Even though you are completely justified and saved, you and I are not living and acting like we are if we are unfriendly and thus friendless. Because if you are a believer, you know and should know, remember and recognize that friendship is the faithful ministry of Jesus, not only through us, but to us. Now, I really have pushed, as I believe the Bible does, that it is Christian to befriend, but befriending begins with being friended by the Lord himself. As the story goes, God uses Jonathan and his friendship to preserve David's life like he uses our friendship to preserve each other's, but friendship doesn't start with us and didn't start with Jonathan, but Jesus, right? In this one case, it is Jonathan who is Jesus in the story. In fact, soon after, the Bible tells us he dies in battle alongside his father Saul. And at the friendship and death of Jonathan for David, David can now keep his promise to be a good friend to Jonathan's kids only because Jonathan was first good to him. We befriend only when we live believing God has been friendly to us. By giving Jesus to be a friend of sinners. God sent Jesus for our critical and lonely without God lives to love and die for and rise for sinners. He bound himself to our condition and he took despair and arrows of death for us and sent us into a God destiny of eternal life. He bound himself to feel and know all we feel and know and suffer, and he has promised to never leave or turn on us, his people, his followers, his friends, regardless. Jesus came to be your friend. There's a song out there, oh my gosh, I am a friend of God. It's a little light. What does it mean that you're a friend of God? It's not your end of it. It's his end of it. You're a friend of God because Jesus came to be a friend of sinners. Jesus got your back. So go and get each other's. Be friend and be a friend by the power of the gospel.